Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to Greenwash. And now for a quick change. We've let Dawn off the hook now, and I'm back with that old suspect, Jill Booth. Welcome back, Jill. Good day. How are you doing? Hi, hi, Jasper. I'm well, and it's good to be back. It's been a bit of a break. It has been. A few been. things happen in the, in the intervening weeks, so yeah. Do but, I um, dare even ask what's kept you busy? Or should I not know? No, 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 <laughs> no, don't ask. But I, I well, yes. You know, apart from the fact that it's spring and everything grows. Um, but I, I'm noticing what has kept me busy lately is a lot of things are starting to happen locally um, with local councils. And that is really, really good. Very happy. Good. As long as you're optimistic. Right. Now, Jill and I left off last time at SDG 6, where we spoke about water and sanitation. Specifically, we just focused on New Zealand and Three Waters, the whole fiasco that was. Today, we've got a bit more time up our sleeve, and Jill and I are going to talk about SDG 7, so the United Nations Sustainable Goal Number 7, which is ensure access to clean, reliable, sustainable, modern energy for all by 2030. And if we can sneak this one in, SDG 8, which talks of sustainable economic growth and decent work for all. So SDG 7 and SDG 8. Let's begin with the first one. Clean energy, Jill. How clean are we? Well, you know, we, we're not, well, the new clean green energy is not clean and green um, really at all. But the other thing with the energy, like when they with the New Zealand's report, they're saying energy poverty is a reality for at least a fifth of New Zealanders. And yet our energy prices, because 82% of our energy is renewable, um, our energy prices in New Zealand weren't too bad. But yeah. now that BlackRock's going to get involved in things, I can imagine the price is only going to go one way and it's not going to be down. Not going to be down. And incidentally, I should have mentioned this in the beginning, listeners, Jill and I have gone back to the old favorite, the NZ People's Report. So if you just Google the People's Report STG, that's the first result that comes out. And yeah. this is made by an NGO on how well New Zealand is uh, ticking off the United Nations STG. So clean energy, we've got global players now in there. We've got BlackRock that set up a $2 billion fund for a just transition to green energy for New Zealand. And this is one term that comes straight, straight out of the globalist playbooks of the World Economic Forum in the United Nations, just transition. And yep. it's diabolical, isn't it? It could mean many things, Dil, this phrase. Well, it, it does. And you, do, you know, is it is it just transition as in just do it or is it just as in just justified? And um, and the first time I stumbled across this particular one was at a Delphi-style tech meet, technique meeting, I think it was in Gore, um, and the words just, just transition came up. So I had a look at it, and it goes straight back to the World Economic Forum. That's yeah. you know it doesn't it doesn't even shortcut through our government. It just goes straight back to the World Economic Forum. So this is um, where this is coming from. Just a wee note with the People's Report. This was done in 2017, which was two years before we officially signed up to to putting the SDGs into our government. So this has been going along in the background for quite some time. 
Yeah. Yeah. So and we've got two areas of New Zealand, specifically Taranaki and Southland, where I am, which are specially focused on this just transition. Now, Southland, of course, they talk about a post TVI, you know, the aluminium smelter plant. What is Southland's economic economic future going to look like once that falls? It's almost decided that that's going to fold. And the other area is Taranaki. And so I, I decided, let's look at Taranaki. So there's quite a few NGOs there. We've got Climate Justice Taranaki working there. It makes references to other organizations like Climate Justice Aotearoa, Climate Shifts, 350 Aotearoa, Degrowth New Zealand, and of course, how could you forget Greenpeace, the one that is a strategic partner with the United Nations, Greenpeace Aotearoa. Now, uh, 2021, Venture Taranaki, which is a council-controlled organization owned by the New Plymouth District Council, but runs as a charitable trust. It had a presentation done about what is a just transition. They had a Dutch scientist speaking up on this. But, I mean, his slides were long, and you can see those on the taranaki.co.nz page on what is a just transition. But... He got pretty specific about at around slide 87, if I'm really precise. And that's when the language came out. It said Taranaki 2050 roadmap, I just transitioned to a low emissions future. Get children involved. Engage those actors who could spread the vision and approach like a virus. Try to depoliticize the 2030 roadmap and make it society and business driven. So often, Jill, people keep looking at politicians as if politicians have a say in, whereas it's all now happening through the private sector. It is. Yeah, it's happening through your private sector and it's happening um, in, in your local government sector, this whole getting children involved and everything. But if you if you have a good look at that slide 87 and read the language in it, um, again, it's all fluffy and nothing actually really means anything, you know, sustainably growing our tourism industry. I mean, how do you, how do, you do that? Um, reconciliation of the past integrated um, transition to low emissions. So all of this touchy-feely um, language that they use, it, it works really well on children, but as an adult, when you start looking at the wording of it and you go, what does that actually mean? Mm, mm. A and a lot of it actually doesn't mean anything. <laughs> no, but they, they talk about influences. Uh, this particular presentation that I'm referring to is called what is a just transition? And it's on the website taranaki.co.nz because remember that was an oil-rich area where we stopped any sort of exploration and drilling. The presentation says frame the process, the D, you know, the transition to a green energy process in terms of social and economic gain. Frame it in terms of innovation and inclusion. Frame it in terms of how many Maori people could be employed. And we've seen this sort of fluffy language, this sort of inclusiveness, inclusivity, diversity, and uh, virtue signaling in so many places. But yet, we are having councils map, you know, areas of natural significance and all of that outstanding natural landscapes. And we have windmills going up everywhere in some of our most iconic places. 
we have uh, not learned anything from overseas where there has been collateral damage to these windmills, which are at the best of times not very reliable also. But there's a subsidy, be it direct subsidies over overseas or be it, you know, ETS credits in New Zealand. These are going ahead. And in many places, there are people, I know at least in Southland, there are people who've been trying to get a say in about the fact that they're not happy of these about these wind farms going in on iconic landscapes around the Catlins and the slope down one that's underway. But what the government has done is it's put these under the COVID, uh, what do they call it? COVID revival. They call them the shovel ready projects. And they have done away with consultation because these are shovel ready. You don't even need to consult on them. So there goes. <laughs> The scariest thing about those that we, you know, when you look at the wind farms that, um, and where they've been projected to go in Southland. So Southland's an oil rich any area as well as what Taranaki is, um, although we don't drill ours. But when you look at what's happening with the wind farms across the world, there's a massive one called Orsted, which I think is a Swedish one. They're abandoning their wind farms all over the world. The huge one that's going off the New Jersey coast in America, the British Channel one because there simply is not the money in it. Um, so we're, we're already following something that is already beginning to fail, um, which really makes, financially, it makes no sense at all. Jill, but that doesn't sound to you just like the COVID vaccination plan. We saw <laughs> how it was failing in other countries. We were six to nine yes. months behind the Northern Hemisphere, and yet the vaccines are failing miserably. Israel showed it. 30, a study of 30,000 people showed it that they were doing nothing at all to stop transmission. And yet they were pushed on two shots for summer, make it three, get a booster if you want a life, two classes of citizen. It's almost like we know it's going to fail. But, you yeah. know, the collateral damage is what we need. The people on their knees, businesses hitting the wall and all of that. And, you know, if, if you want green energy, if you want to live... I don't know, if you want to go back to energy shortages and so on, fill your boots, but do have a look. And I'm going to try and play this clip from the UK where an influencer, because, uh, you know, UK Northern Hemisphere heading into a winter, is trying to tell people how low-cost heaters can work and a DIY heater at that. Now, let me see if I can get this to play while we are chatting here. But it's it's amazing what we've come to, what clean energy actually looks like. And here goes. I'm going to show you guys how to make this terracotta pot heater, which is perfect for like a bedroom or a small space in the winter to stay warm without having to use any electricity or run the heat and heat your whole house all night. We all know that the price of gas is going up this year, so this is a great alternative to just burning up that oil and having a little bit more control over what rooms you're heating. So to start, we just use a basic cookie sheet. You really could use the bottom of the pan if you wanted. Um, it doesn't matter, but something flat and round like this. And then on top of that, I have two little candles from the dollar store. And these are not the tea light. They're the ones that are about like maybe four or five inches tall. Um, this is the second full night I've burned this. So this is after two complete nights, um, two candles and then two bricks. And the bricks are just there to build up a little bit of space so that the air can get underneath to then put this terracotta pot on top of. The first terracotta pot that you put on is going to be smaller than the second one. And you want to plug that hole up with some tin foil or something so that the heat isn't escaping. And the idea behind that is the heat will actually heat up that terracotta pot. 
and then that way there's room to put the next one on top of it and the heat will vent around it. So I adjusted that middle one so that there's room for this top one to sit on top of the bricks over it and I placed that on there. Don't mind the dirt. I do reuse these for my actual plants in the summertime. And you want to make sure it's lined up. Like this is a little crooked for me. I can see the lights. It's not directly over. So I'm going to readjust this and push this little one into the middle just slightly more so that everything is centered. And then when you peek down in that top hole, you should really see that tinfoil through the middle. And the heat is going to just blast straight out that hole, you guys. Happy heating. Big wow. cold day in hell before I use a terracotta pot as a heater. <laughs> Clean energy there. Equitable, <clears throat> inclusive, low-cost transition. I mean, I can tell you my grandma did better than that. I'm pretty sure even before the pre-electricity days, she had hot water bottles and so on. We, but that's India we are talking about. This We won't uh, say anything about those tea light candles coming from China <laughs> <laughs> on, on, a, on a diesel spewing. Uh, no, no, neither will we say anything about what's happening in Mongolia or to the, you know, child miners in Congo where the insatiable yeah. demand for lithium ultimately pays dividends. What's happening to the communities, the environmental costs there. And unless we stop the subsidies, that taxpayers are paying to all of these, you know, virtue signaling companies while the rest of us are left without basic infrastructure like education, healthcare, and so on. This ain't going to stop because these people have found a good thing going. That's true, you know, and and, and going back to, to just transition, you know, the just transition is really a, a just transfer and it's a transfer of our wealth to to these massive companies. So it's having a bit of a look at what's going on in China. So China has um, it has excavated more rare earth minerals than any other country in the world. Um, at the moment, this is to bring us our, our, our energy transition. Um, it is also buying up all the EV battery making um, areas, you know, for, you know, to, to come off fossil fuels and all go into electric cars. Um, China also has the the <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> the dibs on don't you hate that when you're trying to speak? Um, China also has the dibs on solar panels. So we have this transition into these great big windmills that are made in China um, to all our solar panels that are made in China to our EV batteries and our cars that are made in China. And in fifteen years' time, when China has a complete monopoly on all of that green energy stuff, how much is it going to cost? Because when you've got no competition, you can charge what you like. Um, you know, 15, and, years, and 15 years is too far, Jill. I am not living. Uh, you know, I hope you could visualize what that uh, influencer in UK was trying to show. But what she was essentially doing was putting a plate, two tea lights, two concrete, uh, I think two bricks on either side of those and covering it with two terracotta heaters. And, you know, even tinfoil, that comes in handy sometimes. But isn't it nice? She, she probably has a circular economy and a low footprint because she's going to reuse those terracotta pots in the summer for her plants. How wonderful. I could just see my children <laughs> just going to town if I started that. In fact, Jill, before that happens, I would rather go and ransack every single op shop for every musty old fur coat that I can buy and survive like that rather than have that sort of a... Sorry, Jess, I have been there before you. I have got them all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And what that, what that would Peter say, Jill? That influencer probably lives at home with their parents and they, and they pay the bill. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that, there you have it. That is, that is SDG 7. 
That tells yeah. you just having clean energy for you. And if there's one phrase you need to take out of that and look it up, it is just transitions. That's transition. Yeah. So I think we've chewed the fat enough on this one, Jill. Let's uh, go. Sorry to... about the cough. That's all right. Have you had a big night? No, no, no. I haven't had any night. <laughs> <laughs> SDG 8 now. And we've, you know, SDG 8 ballpark, it, it is talking about workplaces and decent work yeah. and decent economic growth. Virtue signaling again. I keep using that word very often. Uh, but I make no apologies for that. That is what all of this is. It's um this all comes through in the just transition too. Um, the language is, is the same in here. So when you want to launch into it, go for it. <laughs> so SDG eight in the people's report says Aotearoa, of course it has to be. Aotearoa, New Zealand is a wealthy country by global standards, but our wealth is not evenly, fairly distributed. We are a low-wage economy. Full employment remains elusive, especially for Maori, Pacific people, and young workers. Uh, the unemployment for Maori and Pacific people, they say, is nearly twice that as for other New Zealanders. Women, they say there's a big pay gap. Women are getting 9.2% lesser wages than men for the same job of work, but even versus uh, Asian women get 23% less. That's me, Jill. 28% lower for Maori women, 32% lower than the average for Pacific women. And that is where it is. We need to ensure the wealth is equally fairly distributed via work. Smells a bit like communism to me, if I'm being honest, Jill. Well, it smells it smells like deceit. It really does. Um, and a lot of many, many women get paid the same as men, but they spend fewer hours at work. And sometimes that's just part of being a woman and how we're put together and how we're made. Um, and other parts of that is because we tend to well, you know, when I was a woman, we used to be the ones that had children. <laughs> um, and things are changing now. Um, but, you know, women women tend to be in the workforce for fewer hours and it's not that they get paid less um, yeah. than a lot of men. And then a lot of men, you know, when you start getting out the top echelons of, of work and you see O positions, they simply work harder. Um, yep. And are often more qualified because they they have been able to, and I don't see that as being um, unfair or an unequal distribution um, of work. So so that the whole thing about women always being paid less than men is actually not quite true. It's just the way it's been. They don't been talk together. about tr trade offs. If I have chosen oh. to take a job with lesser hours of work. I have chosen to jump in and out of the workforce as and when my kids were born or when my dad was unwell and I needed to have a year uninterrupted. All of that. No one talks about that. If my husband earns more, it's not just because he does a more demanding job, but it's also because he has stuck to his role of being the breadwinner throughout. He he couldn't, he didn't have the, you know, what do I say? Just the liberty that I did knowing that I would be providing. He didn't have that, the poor man, and he had to stick to it. Yeah, and I was an at-home mum, you know, so so I, I dropped out of the workforce completely 
Um, it wasn't because I was incapable of earning as much as a man. It's just that I I chose to be, you know, to be a mum and, and had a supportive husband. We were talking in SDG 7, we were talking about the just transitions and this comes back into this um, this workforce thing with it's got they're encouraging signs of government support for a just transition, an approach developed by trade unions to enable an ambitious transformation to a net zero carbon economy that delivers good jobs and enables working people to maintain their living standards and well-being. A trust a just transition requires coordinated planning active support for retraining, investment to create new jobs, especially in clean energy and transport infrastructure, and other pol policies to um, equitably share both the opportunities and the costs of transitions. What the hell does that mean, Jasper? It's, it's a word salad. <laughs> We're not paying any more attention to it. But we have, you know, stuff like menopause leave. Now, I saw this article on One News when they said New Zealand has not yet put a figure on it, but Australia estimates that menopause has a significant impact on the economy with 17 billion lost in earnings. Now, how do you get to that? What is what is a good job? Now, because farming has been deemed not low carbon, so the job that I do is not a good job. So I should possibly hang my head in shame about what feeds me and my children and puts a roof over our head. But somehow I don't. They also talk, I mean, we have all birds, the New Zealand Merino Wool Shoe Company that provides uh, leave for, you know, transition, transitioning to another gender. It provides leave and pay for people who are in certain states of uh, its U.S. businesses to move, go to other states to get an abortion. Is that a good job? Rainbow ticks and those sort of companies. At one time, you used to go to work just to work. And that was it. Anything else was after work. But we these they decided to take our whole self to work. But let's let's go even further. This article, this people's report, also talks about the fact that we need to look at modern slavery in New Zealand because it's a reality of life. And we've taken that so literally that Auckland University now has a research research center on modern slavery. Can you believe that? A research center on modern slavery. Are they using the Apple iPods? <laughs> <laughs> Driving there in their electric car? <laughs> oh, gosh. Trust you to go straight to that. But these these are the companies, uh, I mean, these are the woke academics who are now talking about the fact that New Zealand, because of the huge amount of migration, well, we could actually even just stop migration, but let's leave that for now. Uh, because of its huge amount of migration, it's seeing a lot of migrant exploitation. Their research paper says we need to look at, you know, immigration status of employees, look at what sort of, uh, you know, pay packets they get and whether they are availing all the benefits being available to them and how much Kiwi employers are exploiting migrant workers. So I said, all right, I am going to go and have a look at the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment's page because they produce what they call, what they term as a employer's visa stand-down report. And these stand-down periods is for the employers where there has been some infringement of the Employment's Relations Act 2000. And I went through the 1st of November list that they have printed. 
And I'm going to reel off some of the names because somehow they just reel off easily off my tongue. They sound really, really familiar. Amardeep Singh, employer name, PMB Communications, Liang Tang, Rap Hospitality, Samra Holdings, Samra Enterprises, Samra Brothers, Akal Holdings, Sukhdev Singh, Mihul Patel, Abhi Patel, Nikhil Himalaya Point, Himalayan Liquor. I could go on and on. Going through these pages, and there's about 12 pages, nine pages of the names are Indian names. So I would tell these work professors in the Auckland University's Research Center on Modern Slavery that actually your problem is that established migrants are exploiting new migrants. There don't seem to be a lot of Kiwis actually, you know, Kiwi Kiwis actually exploiting this. So maybe we could just shut shop there. Aye. And we don't need to do anything. So we could actually just shut the shop. We are talking of migrant exploitation, but that's being done by other migrants. So why? what are we talking about then? Well, you know, slavery in New Zealand isn't a, isn't a big thing. Um, but again, too, under this under this SDG eight and about employment, they've got volunteerism, and volunteerism will be a new form of slavery. Because remember, when all of this was done, we didn't have AI. So, how many people's jobs are going to be eventually replaced by AI? And then, what are they going to do? So at the moment in China, they're sending millions of their young people back out into the country to volunteer. And the older ones are really worried that this is actually a return to, to um, Maoism. And that's how communism worked was, you know, if you didn't volunteer, you, you got nothing from your state. And isn't that interesting that in the People's Report, right after they talk about this particular SDG, SDG 8, fair work and all of that, the very next page, page 64, is a conversation with Dr. Katie Bruce, the chief executive of Volunteering New Zealand. And she says that the UN report in June 2015 about integrating volunteering in the next, de next decade states volunteerism can significantly contribute to ensure no one will be left behind in the SDG framework. New Zealand, for its size, and I was trying to look at figures Depending on which, uh, you know, websites you look at, I looked at community.net.nz, community net Aotearoa. It says in 2018, New Zealand had 115,770 non-governmental organizations. The vast majority of these rely heavily on unpaid volunteer labor. For the size of its population, says Community Net Aotearoa, New Zealand has one of the largest non-profit sectors in the world representing $18.11 billion annually. And it's this running this takes 159 million hours an year of voluntary work. It says it cites the source Statistics New Zealand non-profit institution satellite accounts. So for a country the size, Jill, well over 100,000 NGOs and 159 million hours of volunteer work every year. 
Well, again, in the People's Report, you know, it's got that we're the fourth most generous country in the world in terms of time spent volunteering, but the number of, number of hours is down 42%, which is nearly 50%. But there was, I remember reading it from somebody who was famous who said something once, and they were saying that the, the more the government steps in to do things, the more people actually step back because yep. the government's already doing it, so we don't tend to volunteer or, or give so much. So, um, you know, and so there's, they're looking at, at picking up the volunteer roles. Um, in this report, they're a bit upset that our society is still structured along um, gender lines, um, but that's just going to be, you know, women do women's jobs with volunteering and, and blokes do blokes' jobs with volunteering and that's that's the way it works. And that's, so, that's where we are. I mean, we are trying to put everyone in the same size boxes, yes. same, put everyone, make everyone identical, make every, you know, there needs to be absolutely not an iota of difference and yet they talk about inclusive and being accepting of differences and all of this when it comes to certain certain groups and otherwise not it is it is time to realize that whether we like it or not we are one of the countries in the world that is absolutely at the forefront of pushing the sdg agendas and unless you want a terracotta heater jill i think we'd better be be aware i've got the fair coats jasper <laughs> yes so do i at least one at least one peter be damned you know i'm already farming so let's add one more cardinal <laughs> sin to my uh, up my arms mm -hmm. so right with that we'll come to the end of this week's uh, reality check for the greenwash team and it's good to have jill back hopefully for the re rest of the year we shall have her on as a regular feature and whip through the remaining 10 sdgs nine now now that we've done sdg eight so see you again next time Goodbye. Okay. And have a good Monday. Bye. Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio.